This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heartland Daily Podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber of Healthcare News. We usually do not get into politics in our healthcare discussions, but my guest today is a political candidate. His name is Hugh McTavish, and he's running for governor of Minnesota as an independent, in fact, the same party as former Governor Jesse Ventura. The reason I asked Hugh McTavish to come on to the podcast is that he does have a deep background in healthcare. He is a Ph.D., immunologist, biochemist, patent attorney, entrepreneur, and author with some very strong sentiments about the lockdowns. In fact, his recent book was called Lockdown, COVID Lockdown Insanity, and it made the scientific case why lockdowns could not stop the virus. And Minnesota, of course, was no slouch when it came to COVID restrictions. He also has some interesting ideas about how states should pass bills, which might have prevented some of the lockdown insanity. Welcome, Hugh McTavish. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Let's start with this proposal that you have called Jury Democracy. It's unlike anything we've ever heard of, but very intriguing. What is it? How does it work? And and why do you think it could produce better policies? Uh, The idea is we would have a, a large jury that is a statistically valid sample of all the registered voters. So pulled from the registered voter rolls, select five, at least 500, maybe, maybe up to 2000, um, randomly selected registered voters to come to the state capitol and serve as a jury on a particular bill. So they would listen to the arguments and evidence for and against that particular bill. Uh, both sides or all sides on the issue would be given the opportunity to present their arguments and the evidence. And then I would have them break into smaller groups of 12 and deliberate or talk about it amongst each other and then vote by secret ballot. And I would make that effectively a new house of the legislature, that every bill to become law has to pass, has to pass a citizen jury like that. So we would be making policy based on reason and evidence, I believe, instead of influence and campaign finance. And, um, and juries do a terrific job, incidentally. I think uh, almost every observer thinks they do a terrific job in civil and criminal cases in weighing the evidence and taking their responsibilities very seriously and making intelligent decisions. <laughs> well, I guess it depends where the jury is. Well, mm-hmm. yes, I actually think when it when the jury when when civil and criminal juries make bad bad judgments, and I think it's much rarer than people think. I mean. Highly publicized cases, often people think the jury got it wrong, but the the public didn't get didn't see all the information the jury saw in most of those cases. Number one, and number two, uh, we skew the juries in those cases so that that you know they select they 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 throw out ninety percent of the potential oh, yeah. jurors for one reason or another, you, and you wind up you wind up with only people who never watch the news who have no opinion about anything. It's not a representative sample in that case. Uh, in my in my case, I wouldn't we we wouldn't throw anybody out. Every everybody who wants to participate participates. Doesn't matter if you've got a financial interest in the legislation or not. Um, everybody's uh, everybody who's invited can serve. All right, I've got a couple of questions. Legislatures pass a lot of bills. Do you think you could 
muster 500 well-informed people willing to come to the state capitol to weigh in on a particular issue and, and take the time to do that? Um, well, they wouldn't be well-informed to start with necessarily. They'd be well-informed in the process. Uh, they'd become well-informed in hearing the arguments. Um, and yeah, we could have, uh, in Minnesota, if we did a thousand in every jury, uh, there's 3.5 million registered voters. So that would be 3,500 juries before everybody has served once. Um, so you could have um, you could have about a thousand a year, and everybody would be serving once. You'd expect to serve about once every four years, which I think would be fine. Once a year would be too much uh, for a lot of people, I think. But once every four years should be okay. So there's plenty of room if we did a thousand, you know, you could, you could easily have a thousand. If you only wanted to have 500 people, you'd have 2000 juries a year. And, and, and that would be an acceptable number, I think. It sounds really intriguing. And I, it would be an interesting experiment, I guess. Uh, you, you know, it's funny. I think about this. Wouldn't they be doing the jobs we expect legislators to do? Or has the public given up on that and think we have politicians who do not represent the voters' interests anymore? Yeah, we certainly have a lot of politicians who don't represent the voters' interests. And they certainly don't represent you know, the people who didn't vote for them. So, so, um, so we fight it out on these elections and then somebody squeaks by with 51% of the vote and they impose their agenda on the 49% who disagreed with them and on many of the people who voted for them and agreed with them on other issues, but they didn't agree with them on this particular issue. Uh, um, so, uh, uh, yeah, I think um, uh, it, it's it's an improvement. It's an improvement on that. But uh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. We see that quite a bit and people get frustrated and they just give up and they don't go to the polls and think, well, what's the point? Uh, let's talk about the lockdowns. Is this what prompted you to run for governor and get you thinking more about jury democracy? It's what prompted me to think about running. I, I was so outraged and upset about the lockdowns, and it seemed so obvious to me from the beginning that it was a mistake, that it was that the harms inflicted by them would vastly exceed the benefits, um, uh, which is certainly the case. Uh, and I think I document that in my book. Um, so that's what first got it me thinking about running and motivated to run. Um, and uh, also, I was being censored. I was. I was uh, put, we put out, uh, we tried to put out press um, advertisements on Google and Facebook and in the Minneapolis Star Tribune, the major newspaper here, um, as well on, they just said, they just said the CDC statistics of how many people had been thrown into depression by the lockdowns or how many people, a reasonable estimate of how many, how many suicides we were going to have as a result of the lockdowns. Nobody would accept those ads. The only people who allowed us even to post those ads were the billboard companies. Google and Facebook and, and the Star Tribune refused to accept the ads. And when we posted that, our own videos and stuff saying that, they were pulled as disinformation. And it was just CDC statistics we were citing. So, uh, um, so I was just so appalled at the censorship. And that partly motivated me to run because I thought, well, if I'm a political candidate, then they can't censor me. I think I'm probably naive about that. I think they'll continue to censor me as a political candidate. But, um, uh, uh, but that, that's what, but not the, the jury democracy then. Jury democracy is actually an idea I had 25 years ago or so. And I always thought I'd write, I always thought I'd write a book about it and to try to get it out 
there into the, into the public discussion. And, um, and then this came along and I kind of thought, well, nobody reads books anymore anyway. And a better way to get it out into the public debate would be to run for office and make it an issue in the debate and hopefully win and then implement it. And then we really have it in, in the debate and, and test it out. Yeah, it's interesting. And I want to ask you more about the campaign before we sign off. But I want to double down a bit on this lockdown insanity. You're in Minnesota, blue state, and we heard about some of the restrictions there. Minnesota was not the only state. Many states had locked down their economies, closed schools, demanded masks and vaccines. Can you describe more specifically some of this insanity that took place in your state? Yeah, Minnesota was pretty bad. Uh, California was probably worse and a few states were worse, but Minnesota was pretty bad. We had stay-at-home orders for seven weeks, so we were ordered not to leave our house for seven weeks. Uh, we cl- the governor closed churches and health clubs and restaurants and bars for, I, I don't know, probably five months or something. Um, the closing churches in particular just astonished me and offended me. Uh, it's the, the core and, you know, the, the first amendment, it's the core of freedom and, and to, to rule to by judicial, by executive decree, say we can't, can't go to church. Um, uh, so let's see what else closed the schools. I think the cl- schools were closed. Most schools in Minnesota were closed for most of two years. Um, and then had mask mandates, widespread mask mandates. Um, I don't know the exact dates, but it was most of the two years in public places that masks were mandated. Most employers mandated them. Schools mandated them. That particularly offends me for children. That's that's masks were mandated for children. Children are at at most one fifth the death risk from COVID that they are of the death risk from the flu. So if this was about protecting children from death from COVID, we should never have had public schools open in the first place because they're at far higher risk of death from flu than they are from COVID. And the the, ma- the masks, it, when you're wearing a mask, you are breathing carbon dioxide levels that are five times the uh, legal limit for workers. Uh, so we inflicted that on children. It probably, it's, I, I only hope it didn't do permanent brain damage to them, but I think it's not at all inconceivable that it permanently stunted their, their brain development, breathing high levels of carbon dioxide all this time. The masks we have written a lot about, and it's so infuriating because defenders of masks will tell you about the laboratory tests that show that masks do work. And I guess if you're in a laboratory and dealing with mannequins, uh, which nobody does... And we reported in Healthcare News about a six-year-old who was expelled from first grade in Minnesota. He had a speech impediment, and he kept taking off his mask. It was a charter school, and the parents tried to work with the school, and they had no luck. And this wasn't that long ago. You know, all of these measures send a chill. You don't even have to enact them in law, but people are afraid You know, in my home state, churches could stay open, but they did not because they were afraid that the state government would give them a hard time about one thing or another. Why do you suppose the public did not speak up more vigorously against this? I don't know. The public was certainly fooled, and I think this proves that proves we should doubt experts and that expertise experts have done a terrible job running running the, the country. Uh, um, but yeah, people, I think reasonably trust in a a way it's reasonable. You hope the CDC is giving you fair numbers. And actually, I think the CDC gives, gives us fair numbers. I I don't fault CDC staff. I fault CDC leadership. Um, 
but uh, you know, and the and people were silenced. The the medical experts said, "Oh yeah, everybody wears the masks." And medical expert, plenty of medical experts thought this this was insane. The masks do no good, little or no good. And and that lockdowns in general would do little or no good, and and that uh, suicides and drug overdose deaths count too, and we're increasing those. Um, and they were silenced. They were they were uh, they were blackballed. People in academia were blackballed. Uh, so we've got a real censorship problem in this country. Um, but I think people accepted accepted the, the the tales of the media and the government and the elites in general. Um, that the, the lockdowns were necessary and that COVID was an existential threat and that this was, you know, it's extremely, extremely deadly. Um, and all, all that is nonsense. Well, the hospitals and medical doctors who work for them were really afraid. Uh, they were afraid of being fired or government funding drying up or the heavy hand of government coming down on them if they didn't tow COVID fear. Um, so they went along with it and some against their conscience, as, as some have told me and couldn't say publicly. You know, we kind of knew that these measures wouldn't work, and now we're two years out, and we discover that they had little impact in slowing things yep. down or making that time frame shorter. Viruses have a life of their own, as they typically do during an outbreak or a pandemic. Do you think there is politics of fear, and will we see more of it in the future? I don't know about fear. Um, I wanted to comment on what you just said, though, that we're two years into this and we know it didn't work. It, it does seem obvious to me, it was obvious weeks into this that, uh, that the number when weeks into the into the state home orders that the that you, you could just look at the charts of deaths and 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 um, and cases they they had no effect the, the state home orders non, mask mandates no effect at all when those things are imposed uh, anybody could look at that 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 uh, is widely reported every day how many cases and deaths we were having um, so it's. It's perplexing to me that people, well, actually, I shouldn't say, I think people probably did doubt that and realize to a significant extent, roughly half of the population, I think, realized this is a mistake. Um, but um, yeah, I'm disappointed in people who who think it, it just seems so obvious to me that it had no effect. Uh, uh, I'm disappointed in people who don't notice that. Um, and they're, they don't seem to be thinking for themselves or doubting uh, the official narrative they're getting from the government and the media. I want to shift a bit. We've been dealing with the Biden administration now more than a year. The government seems to be steamrolling over state independence from everything um, to how they run their Medicaid programs or educate their children or manage their economies, conduct their voting. What can states do to resist? And what should the public know about this new federalism? Well, I actually I kind of disagree with the premise that that it, that the Biden administration is substantially different from previous administrations, uh, in, including even the Trump administration or Republican administrations on um, uh, imposing policies on on the states. Both parties impose the policies they favor on the states and let them be free to do what they want on on um, if the states are going to do what they want to do anyway. Uh, so, um, uh, so I kind of kind of disagree with with the premise. Uh, as governor, I would uh, you know push to to do the policies I favor <laughs> to the extent I can. Uh, what the regardless of what the federal government is telling me, uh, 
we ought to be doing or should be doing. Um, but I think it's, uh, um, I'm not strident on states' rights or federal rights. States don't have rights. People have rights. I don't think states have rights. So it's just a question of which level of government is, um, uh, should be, uh, should be handling different things. Um, I would, I would leave a lot of discretion to the states. Uh, um, I would largely leave discretion to the states. I think we've gone too far in, uh, uh, federal, federal policy. Um, but yeah. Well, I think of the states as laboratories of democracy. And, and certainly if you're elected and this jury democracy takes off, uh, Minnesota, Minnesota could be a test case to the rest of the nation. We wouldn't have to roll it out for everybody. Um, you know, we could really see how it works in small uh, portions. And if it does work, it could be testament to the importance of leaving states alone to conduct affairs uh, as best meets the needs of their citizens. The primary is on August 9. Have you done any polls? Do you know where you stand? And what do you think is going to happen in November? Is Minnesota going to have a new governor? I, I'm, I'm not the, 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 um, the primaries, are, at least for the governor race, the primaries are going to be irrelevant in Minnesota this year. The, uh, Tim Walls, the incumbent Democrat, is unopposed. Scott Jensen won the endorsement of the Republican convention, and he faces only token opposition in the Republican primary. Um, and I'm running as with the Independence Party. We don't have a primary because we're not a major party right now. Uh, so I will get on. We submitted, we submitted over 2,000 signatures um, uh, to the deadline to do that was yesterday. It was uh, not yesterday, Tuesday. Uh, we submitted over 2,000 signatures, and um, so the Secretary of State is looking at that now. If they validate 2,000 signatures, we're on the I'm, I'm on the ballot. Uh, so, um, so from. Um, so from here, it's going going to November, going to uh, November seventh or whatever the date of the election is. And that's how Jesse Ventura won. He ran as an independent and surprised everyone because he had no political background. I mean, people knew of him. Yeah, so it's happened happened before. Yeah, exactly. It's happened before. Lightning struck before. I think it can happen for me. I think the uh, I don't. Uh, I'm not an ex professional wrestler, so I don't have the fame that Jesse Ventura had, but. Um, but the jury, I think the jury democracy has an exciting idea, and I think that has legs. And um, so I actually, I actually do think I can win, and I'm, I'm in this race to win. It's not a uh, minute to promote the idea of jury democracy, but the best way to promote that is to actually win. <laughs> so I intend to do that. Well, Hugh McTavish, thank you for coming on to the podcast, and good luck with your campaign. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Hugh McTavish is running for governor of Minnesota on the Independence Alliance ticket. He's been an outspoken critic of COVID lockdown measures, and his campaign could just be the referendum on this and what the public is willing to tolerate in the future when it comes to public health measures. And I will include a link to his website and his book, COVID Lockdown Insanity, on the podcast notes. Thank you for joining us again. Um, if you enjoyed this discussion, please support uh, the Heartland Daily Podcast by giving us a thumbs up on your favorite podcast platform, sharing our link, becoming a regular subscriber. All of these do help spread the free market message. This is Anne-Marie Schieber, and I'll be back next time with another uh, topic in healthcare news. 